Hello and welcome to Little Live Story, the podcast where we take an anime and turn it into a movie. And a movie, turn it into an anime. Happy New Year! Omedito! What? Japanese for congratulations. I hate you. What, what are you congratulating? You know, it's just it's a celebratory thing. I can say bonsai. Would that make you happier? I don't know. It's 2020. Who let this happen? I don't know. I blame you. Before we get to brass tacks, uh, quick obligatory New Year thing. What was your favorite anime of 2019? 2019. Yeah, you know the year that just happened. Yeah, I'm I'm aware. Uh, shit, you caught me off guard. Well, um, all right, all right, all right. I got it. Rising of the Shield Hero. Why the fuck did I ask? I don't know. That that's on you. Some actually. people might care. I, I don't know what that is, and I won't ask. Yeah, it, but... it, it would take too long to get into it. We'll watch it eventually. It is really good. Sure. I mean, if it's your favorite, then. Favorite of this year? Yeah. Anyway, so I guess since you're asking me, I should ask you, what's your favorite movie of 2019? Um, It was, until like two weeks ago, it was undisputably Rocket Man. Okay. Yeah, it was very much so Rocket Man. I mean, Joker was kind of a close-ish second. Like, not, what not what dis- beat it out? Did the Snyder Cut come out? Shut up. Don't shut up. <laughs> no, um... Marriage Story. It's a Netflix movie. Never even heard of it. You didn't describe yours. I won't describe mine. Anyone out there who has heard of it will know what I'm talking about. But yeah, Marriage Story beat it out by a hair because of the way it affected me. But Rocket Man is still a sentimental favorite. But if I had to say one of those two, but Marriage Story is at the top of my letterbox list right now. So All right. must mean something. Makes sense. Anyway. Anyway, getting on If you want to listen to top 10 of cast, let us know. Yeah. We could do that separately if that's what you really want. Yeah. It'd be fun. It would I like be talking about stuff I like. It would for be fun. Once. I'm not good at lists though. So. I am. I love lists. Says the guy with the list. Well, it's a different kind of list. I don't order things. Anyway, let's get into it. I'm going first. Yes, today you're going first. Okay. Today you're turning Piano No Mori or Forest of the Piano into a movie. Speaking of things I like, did I just say that? I know. I'm really excited. Go on. Say it in your own. Say it in your own words. I kind of liked it yay we did it a round of applause yay clap 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 clap. bigger celebration than the new year um yeah i genuinely kind of liked it the one thing is eric didn't like it enough to want to continue so we're still looking for that golden anime uh, that he wants to like that he's like yes i'm actually engaged and you know what let's sit down and watch another but he actually was thoroughly enjoying the anime while we're watching yeah it. i i liked it a lot more than i disliked it like there were very few things that i didn't like about it so and I really, yeah, the I trick is finding coming of age stories. I mean, good ones. Well, good ones. I think every fucking anime is a coming of age story. Yeah, yeah, a lot of them can be described that way. Mm-hmm. But um, give us our plot recap for the the good people. A young boy living with his mother alone in the red light district finds a lonesome piano near his house in the forest. He is a prodigy of piano. He's able to make this piano sing. If I were to put it in the parlance of anime, he eventually meets his new friend who just moved into the school a child of another piano prodigy who cannot make the piano work no matter how hard he tries and this eventually leads to him getting under the tutelage of a famous former piano star and he takes him under his wing learns piano proper and eventually moves on from the forest piano to go onto the big world stage and enter piano competitions piano stuff yeah yeah it works anything else do i just no, no, just, yeah, just, just get, jump get, in. Yeah, just get into it. Okay. All right. We open on a clearing in a forest. Okay. Make the good start. 
Very idyllic, beautiful god rays coming through the leaves. After a moment, we hear a voice. The voice says, I heard about a piano in the forest. Then, read in by the voice, a piano fades into our view in the middle of the field. It's immaculate, it's shiny, it's gorgeous, matching the scene. After that, we hear a spattering of different people pitching ideas about where this piano came from. One of them says something like, I heard it was used to pass messages between spies in the Cold War, and we see someone walks up, slips something under it, and the piano looks a little bit different. It's the images responding to the narration, and these are four or five different voices. Okay. Another one says something like, I heard it was just a prop in a music video, and they just left it behind because it was way cheaper than moving it. I heard it's used by a cult to serenade the moon once a month. (laughs) And yeah, so... These are clearly the voices of teenagers Makes or sense. youths, yeah, yeah, at least. Yeah. And after we see this for a good minute or two, we finally cut and see what our framing device actually is, which is a group of preteens-ish, something like that. Yeah, young young children on a but playground not super young. on a playground, and they're having this discussion. We slowly back away from them with our camera until we meet our lead, who is a young girl eavesdropping on this eavesdropping makes it sound a little dramatic just listening not involved in the conversation but listening to their conversation about the piano then on the ringing of the end of lunch bell we get a transition into a brief classroom scene where we just learn our main character's name and vague sense of who she is which is somewhat of an outcast clearly a little bit artistic a little bit spacey then we get another transition on the end of the day school bell and we see her walk home to a fairly rundown house on the edge of the forest she walks inside there's a note in the fridge that says from mom it says something like there's pizza in the oven heated up love you will be home late working After our lead sadly makes herself the leftover pizza or whatever, she goes into her room and wistfully looks out a big picture window and sees off in the distance, just through some leaves and branches, a piano in the forest. This very same one we were hearing about before. She climbs out her window, goes down a little hill, walks over to it, and just sits at it, at the bench to be alone. Is this piano, like, what condition is it in? Is it overgrown? Is it, like, chipped? Is it's it a perfect? Little, it's dinged up. Okay, it so looks like it, it's been in the woods. Okay, so it's kind of like the piano in the anime, just a little less overgrown. Yeah, more or less. Okay. After we see her alone at the piano, we get another brief-ish school day. We just, a little bit more of her being an outcast, and we are introduced to her music teacher, who is a little bit strident, a little bit overbearing, and really cares about his job and cares about kids caring about music, if that uh, makes sense. Yeah, so he's, he's a passionate teacher. Very much so. And most of the kids are not. Our lead appears interested, but too much of an introvert to be interested in class. Mm. So when he gives her a little bit of guff or not, she snaps back a little bit. Mm-hmm. Then her lead goes home after that and comes home to mom who's home, but entertaining a guest. Ah, so she also is like the anime. Yes. Okay. The mother is clearly a, I'll say escort. Okay. Much, and Much cleaner words than I would have used. I know. That's why I said it. Um, And our lead is not rudely, but just factually, and she clearly understands the situation, sexiled to her room while her mother deals with this client, I'll say. Mm-hmm. And goes into a room again, looks out the window at the piano. And in the first of holy shit, we'll get a lot of these. When she's staring at the piano, we push in past her head from and over the shoulder out the window. And then suddenly she's at the piano out there. In her like imagination. In the span of the camera move, she is sitting at the piano in a full concert getup playing it. And it is playing beautiful music. Nice. 
Yes, and we get this absolutely fucking gorgeous scene with fireflies and moonlight and her playing a piano for might as well be the gods. So I, I'm going to ask, though, I bet you don't have an answer for this. Is the song recognizable? Like, is it a specific song? Or is it just beautiful piano? Uh, I thought about that a little bit, but I have a few pieces in mind, but nothing I'm confident enough to pick out. So no. Okay. But they are they are recognizable piano pieces more or less okay. throughout this thing until one. Sp- you'll, we'll get there. Okay. But so after that, she goes to bed. I don't even know if we bother showing that. We cut and it's the next day in school and our music teacher is offering up entries into a piano contest. No one overtly takes it. Most of the students are just there for music credit and don't give a shit. So he looks a little bit disappointed, but he singles out our lead, not in class, but the scene ends on him eyeing her. Then cut to everyone leaving then he stops her before she leaves offers her the flyer or the entry form or whatever and says you you're chosen no he just definitely insists on her entry because he has known this girl a little while and knows that she's a gifted musician even though she doesn't want like, to and we yeah, get a little bit show of that it in class yes like she is actually talented mm-hmm. our lead takes the form and the sheet music that comes with it because there's uh, piece they have to all learn to then play for the audition or what, what have you for the competition. And after going home very briefly, dropping off her book bag and such, she goes out to the forest piano, sits down at it, puts the sheet music up on the, I don't know what that thing on a piano is called. Yeah, I don't either. That and begins to play. And obviously this piano has been in the woods for X amount of forever. So it does not play. But after a few strokes of the keys, it starts to play. Okay. And then we transition again into this beautiful imagined scene of her playing this. And it's, again, kind of like the beginning, reactive to... To so uh, what she's imagining? Well, no. What she's imagining is reactive to what she's playing. Ah. So she's learning this piece, so it's, no, 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 fuck up. And then the imagination drops for a bit. Or it looks less good. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so it... So like it, you, you, you can see the breaks in reality yes, when she fucks when up. when she fucks it up, or when she makes a mistake, or when she's uncertain or stops herself. The imagined version of what's going on stops too. But over the course of this scene, she gets more and more comfortable with it and when she's done and comfortable she steps out of this and this is clearly another there's a lot of montage work in this movie so this is not her sitting down at this piano practicing this once and then stopping yeah we get multiple scenes of her doing it just kind not of blending quite. together yeah well blending together is right it's kind of a mosaic if you will and by the time she's done with it let's say if it was september at the beginning of this it is now fall visibly we see autumn leaves on the trees okay when she stops it's all like she went into the fantasy sequence in september and came out in late november not literally but yeah, yeah I, I know what you i mean. know i just want to over explaining but when she does the music teacher is right behind her leaning against a tree she's obviously like, ah what the yeah. what are you doing here how dare you d- disturb my sanctum of peace he goes on to say well that piano hasn't worked in years so i don't know what you're getting out of it and then she elaborates that it's the only way she has to practice because she doesn't have the money for a piano and she doesn't want to be judged for going somewhere to do it so this is how she practices and he's somewhere between floored by her passion and really taken aback by the sheer brutal fucked up honesty of how sad of a situation this is very pitiful but he by the end of this scene is like i'll teach you I have a piano in my classroom and it's open to students if they're with adults. So if you're serious about this, if you're taking this as seriously as I guess you are, I'll help you with a real piano. She's like, oh my God, real sound. Pretty much. She 
is reluctant because of who she is. She's a very cagey person, but she accepts his offer. And then we get a couple of short montage scenes of her playing on an actual piano in an actual building with an actual roof and actual notes and, well, a mentor. Yeah. Maybe this mentor also had his hand broken in, quote unquote, the accident. I love the accident. Yeah. It's, It's so fucking funny. Yeah. But when we're done with the montage of her practicing, we are backstage before the audition part of the contest. And she is up next in line and she is overtaken by fear. Yeah. Normal jitters, obviously, but also she's a very, I don't want to say misanthropic, but she's antisocial yeah. and a little bit of a loner. And now she has to step out onto a crowd of parents and more importantly, people judging her piano skills. Yeah. Legitimately judging her. Yes, exactly. So she's fucking terrified. Yeah. Also, her mother's in the crowd. Just pointing that out. Okay. Is she like lit up by like a spotlight in, from her perspective? No, no. Almost the opposite. Like if you weren't paying attention, you wouldn't notice. Ah, okay. Because so she's just kind of buried in there because from her perspective, there's too many people ex- to, yes, to but, notice. Exactly. But the mentor gives her some advice and implies that he used to be a concert pianist when he was younger. So before the accident. Yes, before the accident. So just giving her a pep talk. Or at least getting on her level. And she takes that, tries to center herself, walks out. We're with her handheld as she walks out. We're looking past her really harshly lit on the stage as the other person walks out, looking at the crowd. And she sits down as she does. Our audio, which it was crowd noises and a light applause and the announcer talking, our audio dips out to complete silence. Then as soon as her finger first hits the key, we transition and she's in the forest on stage in the forest nice that's exactly what the anime does and i don't think we got there so that's perfect really yeah the the whole thing with the anime and the main character is that he brings people with him to the forest visually and like you know like they they, he his sounds bring them the melodies and the feeling of playing on the forest piano i guess i did get this anime yeah but over the course of her honestly beautiful performance of this piece we see her and the piano age. It's as if, again, through this, we have another time lapse. We see the piano uh, okay, slowly get a little older, more visibly ragged and run down. And we see her grow from a 15-whatever-year-old she was to a young woman, maybe in her early 20s. And when she stands up finishing the performance, she is in the middle of an actual concerto in a formal venue years later, a professional in some capacity. Did we CG the 15-year-old to young woman, or did we have multiple actors sitting in that position to, like, transition that? Uh, You would do it with having one actor, the end one actor at the beginning, and then you would then you digitally in between okay so it is like a cg change yeah yeah you see yeah we don't cut away from it the whole time we're on her if she's playing. okay but she's solo on the stage but she's part of a like an a big, orchestra yeah would that be an orchestra yes yeah, i guess so orchestra. yeah so she's part of a group but she leaves very quickly as soon as she's done no bullshit no interactions with people walks past both her fellow bandmates and people taking pictures or trying to get not quite autographs but at least Accolades, at least giving shake her, her hand. Yes, but she does not seem to care. Breezes past them. Then we see a sequence of scenes of her traveling with this concert band from venue to venue to venue. It's mostly a montage, but we get the vibe that she is the centerpiece of what they're doing. She's obviously accompanying them during their piece, but the crescendo or the climax of it is her doing a piano solo at the end. Okay. And we every time we see this, there's at least bits of the forest in what she's doing. Even if that's just yeah. having really subtle trees. Like the curtains discernible. will just yes! slowly bend yes! the tree. Yes, I was literally going to say the curtains, yeah. the shapes, the negative space in the curtains looking like trees or 
uh, tree bark. Yeah. But uh, at the end of this scene, she's backstage and she's told by her manager, something the, the, the band's manager, that their next stop is this, hands her the forms and the invoice and such, and it's her hometown. Weird coincidence, but I guess, you know... You I didn't gotta... say where she lived. Could have been anywhere. Yeah, no, that, that's absolutely fair. But now we know because, you know, it's on the piece of paper. Yeah. We can go visit her. Yeah. Go say hi. No, it's a fictional suburb of like Chicago or oh, something. okay. Or Philly or something. Yeah. But um, when she learns that, she takes out her phone, goes to text someone, gets to her mom's number, scrolls past it, texts the mentor, says, I'm coming to town. Poor mom. Uh, the next scene is her and the mentor catching up over, well, I guess we'll call it coffee or something. Doesn't really matter. Through the catch up, we get a little bit more of what's been going on with both of them. He's on his way toward retirement. He's There's an air of sadness to this guy, and there already was, but now there especially is. He seems proud of her but also through this we learned that when she did that she won the contest and got really really famous not famous it's a little overblown but she got good at what she did and immediately got picked up by like a talent agency uh, and then so got she left gig. him behind oh entirely she fucking left him uh, in the dirt poor man and he seems not bitter but bitter enough to bring it up ah and they dance around a few topics like he asks how her mother is she completely changes the subject she asks about his job he implies retirement's just around the corner and then immediately moves on so there's there's some unspoken tension between the two of them mm -hmm. that they both dance around then the next scene our lead pulls up in a car outside of her old house which her mother assumedly still lives in because of the way she looks at the house mm -hmm. then she turns away from the house to stare off in the woods toward the piano which we can't see but we know yeah, it's we, we know where she's looking yeah we have spatial awareness of it by then and as she stops to reflect we hear a door creak open and a nurse comes out from her mother's house and says uh can i help you ma'am and she after a momentary exhale elaborates that she is the daughter of the person in that house and mm -hmm. that she's paying the medical bills so maybe don't yell at me I, <laughs> I should be here and then she's like oh oh shit sorry ma'am i didn't mean to we just it's not a great neighborhood and just wanted to make sure you weren't up to anything so, so sorry 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 and she's like oh do you want to come inside she's just no i don't when she's undogging to the nurse she looks out at where the piano is again then we caught and she's sitting at the forest piano and we transition into another performance montage of her on stage slash in the forest and through this we showcase more and more of her solo part because the last time we saw this there was a lot of her and the band in the forest but now it's focusing more and more on her mm, just singling her out mm -hmm. and through this Things seem to be spiraling a little bit. I was about... There's a little bit of fame and a little bit of that Hollywood slash music industry thing. Not too much. We're not... I mentioned earlier... This isn't fucking Rocket Man where there's just bottles of pills and cocaine and shit. But by the end of the montage, whereas before it's just piano, forest, her, it's piano that looks a little bit worse wine glass on the piano sheet music that's all crumpled so it it looks a little bit dilapidated yeah like she, she's not taking care of things yeah she's either letting fame go to her head or she it's fame's not agreeing with her light fame yeah this type of fame acclaim whatever you want to call it but yeah so that's definitely visible then we cut and we see her alone in her nice house. Finally. 
because before anytime we'd see her it's like hotel rooms or whatever mm. but and she finally also has a grand piano of her own it's not the one from the forest but it looks very similar like mm-hmm. she tried to make it she look like tried that. To copy that it's one. at least the same type of piano it's like a grand piano or i don't know other types of pianos other than grand piano so maybe it's that one there are others but grand piano is what is in the anime and that's also most iconic so yeah and it's it probably make... the most likely to be in part of like a concerto orchestra yeah it, it, it just makes most sense mm-hmm. in this scene she gets an email from her mom's nurse that basically says re bad news things are bad yeah bad for things. your mother and she responds kind of for lack of a better word, clinically, very by the book, very, uh, I'll send you the check. Uh, we'll figure it out. And then the nurse like, this isn't about the money lead. Maybe, maybe just come see her. And she's like, red. <laughs> she's like, delete. left on red. No, delete's too harsh. But <laughs> left on, left on red. Listen, girl, you gotta go see your mom before she passes. It's just, you won't get to see her again. Then we cut and it's after her next performance. And she's approached by a new talent agent or talent scout, something like that, who says, you're really blowing up in this very niche industry, but that's a good thing. And we'd love to give you the opportunity. Would you like to write your own piece to perform? Ooh. And she's like, holy crap. I've never been able, like, I've never been allowed to write my own stuff. I've only been doing stuff that was written by dead, dead guys from 400 hun- years yeah, ago. Hundreds of years Literally. ago. Literally. So she, reluctant, but very excited at the opportunity, takes it. Also, calling classical niche is very funny, and also you're gonna piss some people off. It is though. I'm not completely disagreeing. I'm, I'm just not, saying. I'm not being insulting. It's just <laughs> a fact. <laughs> but then we get a trippy fantasy montage, as we have been, of her writing this time. But it's intercut with her doing her performances. So it's her in the forest at the piano writing by which I mean she has the sheet music in front of her that's blank, like a blank sheet of music paper. That is, as she's playing notes, writing itself, then deleting itself. So we're seeing her failing writing process play out within the fantasy. Okay. Very creative, very Very start-stop. Yeah, very. But when that ends, she is sat in the forest, surrounded by sheets of paper. They're hung in the trees. They're replacing some of the leaves dangling down at her. They're jammed into the piano keys. She, writer's block does not begin to cover this. She is trying so hard to say something meaningful, to make a good piece of music, and something's not working with it, and she is hating this. Maybe she should And it's killing her. That might help. But just when she puts her head down on the piano keys, ready to scream, there's a knock at the door in real life. Okay. And she snaps out of the fantasy, goes to the door, and it's her mentor. And again, this is clearly a little more time later. Yeah, yeah. He looks haggard and drunk. Ah. At first, it's catch up with the tiniest bit of tension because he's drunk. And then it very quickly turns violent is one notch too high, but bitter. Like he mm. starts following her around the room because she's like, I'm, I'm busy. And he's like, yeah, I can see you're busy. And there's wine bottles everywhere and wrapped up pieces of paper. And he starts getting bitter and starts venting about how, hey, you know, I used to do this too before the accident. Oh my God. Almost literally. And we, through this, do get the fact that he is a failed concert pianist and he does have some kind of neurological damages at hand. We don't learn why, but we do know it has something to do with his alcohol. Okay. or former alcoholism which were revealed or which is revealed to us here mm-hmm. because he gets that really bitter like seeing his own faults in her because she's his protege and yeah. such and at the end of the scene this all culminates in them screaming at each other her calling him a failure her, her saying he wants to ride her coattails him calling her a fucking like ungrateful and he grabs the nearest wine bottle and whips it at her head oh no she dodges it barely she does the 
Dodge shatters on wall, then turns, looks at the glass and the wine dripping on the wall, fucking mortified that this happened. And this is such a big, crazy, horrible moment that they both stop. It completely yeah, shatters I, the tension. They're yeah, like, I figured just like it. They're like, did that happen? Oh, fuck. <laughs> No apologies are made, but it ends there and they both stare at each other and then he leaves. Then we cut and it's sometime later, not too long later, but and she travels home and we see the same angle of her getting out of the car at the end of the cul-de-sac or wherever they live near the forest. And there's a for sale sign at her mom's house. Oh, she stares at it. There's still lights on inside and she acknowledges that then walks past it, goes out into the forest. Then we see what has become of the piano. It is ruined. It is in disrepair. It's still standing. It's just, There's graffiti on it. There's like penises drawn on it. There's mm. names carved into it. Some of the keys are missing. It looks, it's like shit. It's got moss growing on. It's falling apart. Mm -hmm. And she goes to sit at it for maybe nostalgia or maybe to do what she used to do. And the seat underneath her starts to buckle and whine underneath her. So she kicks it out from under her, kneels. She... Closes her eyes, takes a deep breath, goes to play, no sound. Mm. Just empty tink tink of yep. a broken, long broken old piano. Few more notes, nothing, nothing, tink tink tink. There's a moment of horror realization. What does this mean? Is something cracks inside her and she stands up, has an emotional breakdown. She's crying. She grabs a fucking stick, smashes the piano apart in this giant violent catharsis. She beats the piano into the fucking ground. Uh, I guess, you know, being burnt or being destroyed, the piano is still not going to work after that. No. <laughs> after that, she drops the thing, walks away. Just as she's getting into her car, she turns, sees her mother looking out the window at her, locks eyes. We get a sort of you won't get this, but lost in translation moment, or I guess end of inception moment, where she her hands on the door ready to get into her car. And just as her fingers move away from the door, we cut, implying that she did go okay. talk to her mother, but just really softly, really subtly. And then we cut and it is later again, probably years. She looks a lot more put together than we just saw her. Mm -hmm. And she is backstage at a very big concert. And there's stagehands running around. You see people pushing out a giant piano, and it's clearly a solo piece. She's reading from a piece of sheet music that has her name on it, written by. Oh, nice. And a dedication to her mother. Oh, well, I'm glad they made up. Mm -hmm. She's reading it, looking at it, just mostly for our benefit, but yeah. it doesn't not make sense. Mm -hmm. And then just before she gets ready to go out, a stagehand or her manager or something's like, oh, a letter came for you. She's like, a letter? Okay. Hands her the letter. She momentarily almost goes out without reading it, but it's like, ah, screw it. Rips it open. And inside is one of the piano keys from the piano. Did, did you look that up? No. Dude, that's literally what happens in the anime. Really? Yeah. Really? Like, like verbatim, big moment on the stage, and he's getting nervous, and like things going on, and then the um, piano key arrives at like because the mother specifically pulled out the piano key, saved it from the fire, and like you know like remind remind him of where he came from and all that stuff. Yeah, literally verbatim that. Whoa. Yeah. No, I swear I didn't look anything up. Uh, uh, holy shit. That's funny. <laughs> But then we have a moment where we cut from that to a match cut of the mentor sitting down in the audience, looking satisfied, cut to her holding the piano key. Her hands are kind of shaking. She palms it, steps out on a stage, cut to black. Very good. 
I really liked it. I, I I thought that was an amazing. I thought that was a really good adaptation of something that you clearly, as you said, you liked. Like you captured the animeisms of the the visualizations of bringing people into the forest, which again you without barely knowing, got to. Yeah, you, you you captured the key thing. You um, which I did not know. Yeah, uh, there's there's a lot of like. See, real that's all I know. It's good because it went the places that made sense. Well, it went all the right places. Yeah. So um. Yeah, I think it was an excellent adaptation. Thank you. I feel like if I were tasked with making this a real movie in real life, I could have made something really, really special with this. This is a compromised version because I kind of rushed. Yeah, like you, but you, you only have so there's much There's ideas that aren't fully fleshed out in this, as I've described it, that I think would fill out in a real movie. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so this is, there's a better version of this I could have made, but I still, I'm pretty satisfied. Yeah, no, I really liked it. Directed by Michelle Gondry, who I, I don't think you know anything he directed. Okay. But uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind is where I'm drawing that from. He's, he's a French guy. That movie is all about raw emotions with really over-the-top visual allegorical stuff. So it'd be perfect. Like in it, uh, example, a character goes back to his past literally like through my... It's kind of... A lot of it takes place in someone's mind mm-hmm. and they are in like a set that was what his kitchen looked like when he was growing up except he's like very small. It's a giant set and Jim Carrey's like running around the set at like half scale. So he's like looking up at a table that's like 20 feet tall to symbolize that kind of shit. So that kind of shit could really, really work. Huh. Really creative allegorical visuals. That. Any other questions? Uh, Do you have any other actors in mind? None. That's fine. Nothing specific, no. This episode of Little Live Story is brought to you, amazing listeners, by the lovely people of Prism Collaborative. Prism is a co-op for artists and creators looking to develop their own work while supporting others. Prism welcomes all artists regardless of location, background, or skill level. If you have been looking for a creative group to call your own while still owning your work, join Prism Collaborative. And full disclosure, Jared and I are both members of Prism, so you know they have the most rigid standards. Nah, but seriously, Prism is always accepting new members, so go to prismcollaborative.com to learn more. And now your turn. All right, give it to me, Eric. I already know what it is, but give it to me anyway. Disney's lawyers will sue us. Because it's motherfucking Star Wars. Fuck yeah. Yeah. Do I need... To do a plot recap. For the two people out there that don't know, yes. Okay, fine. And I guess this will... Jared is doing the original Star Wars. Since he, Star Wars is a lot about repeating memes and themes, unlike usual, I if he includes shit from the whole saga, we'll call it, that's pretty fair, thinking about it from a grand scale. But yes, we are talking about Star Wars slash A New Hope, Episode 4. The movie that came out in 1977 is the basis for what he's doing. But that movie, as classic as it is, is about a band of rebels trying to take down an evil weapon of mass destruction called the Death Star, built by the evil, double evil, I guess, Galactic empire a droid you know robot for again those two people who are like so what do you mean by droid (laughs) has the secret plans to this super weapon that can help them destroy it which is gifted to this droid by a princess princess leia the droids escape just barely and end up in the hands of a i'll say fateful farm boy named luke who then under the tutelage of an old mentor who was once a jedi knight named obi-wan kenobi goes on a grand adventure with smugglers and aliens to deliver the plans to the rebels so they can destroy the death star save the galaxy save the princess and live happily ever after we hope even though it's part one of nine. Yeah. Or part four of nine. Yeah, it's, you know, it's still a lot to go to make it living happily ever after. Yeah, there's a lot of work ahead. 
Um, so do that. All right. So we got a few things we got to get out of the way. First of all, I just want to state that, as Eric said, he's given me a little more freedom. So it's not ju- it, I'm not going to be doing just the first movie as the focus. It's kind of Star Wars in general. We're bending the rules a little. Yeah. Like be- I'm using Star Wars as a theme to write this. Second, this is a very, very long anime. We're talking over 200 episodes. So holy shit! Because of that, what we are going to be covering is going to be the first arc of the series. It's also a another thing. It's also a like an 80s anime that got somehow sucked into the 90s. So it's probably started. Yeah, like it probably started 89 and then like finished maybe 90. So does that mean it visually looks like DBZ? Kind of. No, it actually it looks actually older than DBZ. So what was that sci-fi anime we watched that one time? The one that I gave up on making. Uh, that one was also 90s, but that oh. was Outlaw Star. Oh yeah, so does it look like that? Uh, kind of a little, a little bit more like that though. Okay. Um, the important thing is that where Star Wars has a lot of smooth edges, with the exception of the Millennium Falcon, um, a lot of smooth edges everything's going to be angular. Like RTD2, rather than having that round head, it's going to be like a triangle with like a flat top. That kind of stuff. Okay, so the Death Star is now a Borg cube? (laughs) Well, I mean... I know you're not outlawing fucking smooth edges. Yeah, I'm just saying, like, there's a lot more angles. Okay, got it. All right, now that that's out of the way, let's actually get started. Yeah! We open with a desert world and a young man who is currently tending to very poorly watered crops on very bad soil. He goes through the motions of finishing that, doing a couple other uh, chores like hanging up laundry and other things. He then goes inside and talks to his aunt and uncle a little bit about the world. Like this is whole thing I'm going to be explaining is basically him showing us this world and the world he's living in. His uncle ends up asking him to go get some groceries from the market. He goes into town and we walk by a whole bunch of really weird aliens. Like you know how Star Wars with a lot of the lesser, a lot of the background characters are weird? It's much more like that. Like, a lot of the characters are really weird and even more weird than Star Wars gets. Like, kind of... of Everyone is the cantina scene of weird. Yeah. That's the background of the characters. He goes to the market and gets a punch card stamped, which has the Imperial logo at the top, which we don't know what that means yet, but, you know, it's there. And he gets groceries. He passes by a bunch of stormtroopers that are just sort of being aggressive towards someone randomly. Which Do they look similar? They, they're exactly similar. Nice. Like, the stormtroopers have not changed. Nice. Um, he goes past that. He goes past what is like basically a future car store like they're selling a bunch of like land speeders and a lot of crazy super vehicles so a lot of world building just through luke going from point a to point b back to point a exactly like this whole thing is just introducing us to the world well there's a hell of a lot of world to get through yes exactly so we needed a a lot of setup he then goes back home and he drops off the groceries goes to his room assumedly done for the day and out of his closet c-3po enters he just starts expositioning to c-3po about how annoyed he is at the situation how he's not getting they're not getting enough food the crops aren't growing and the empire is absolutely not helping them so 3po wasn't with r2 no no no. 3po is currently in the uh, building with him huh, okay. like assumedly his servant we don't really yeah. know yet but um okay yeah he uh, 3po is very similar to what he is in the movie um probably more of a doofus to be honest so he's just, just kind mo- of a fop yeah so yeah he's just mostly talking at C-3PO about his grievances. I bitch at the toaster sometimes. <laughs> I Maybe I should start. There's an air fryer like 20 feet behind you that's just got really big ears to listen. Ah, I see. 
Eventually, after all of his bitching is done, his uncle knocks on his door, enters the room, and says he has a visitor. He was like, I don't know who would visit, but okay. Gets up, goes to the do- uh, front door, opens the door, Obi-Wan. End episode one. I think you mean Ben Kenobi? Is it not Obi-Wan? No, no, I meant because when he's on Tatooine, he's under the pseudonym Ben because ah. he's hiding out and I was just being every Star Wars fan ever. Well, which will bring us to our next thing. None of the names are changing. Sweet. All the names are staying. Even Luke? Even Luke. Luke is nice. Luke. Nice. Yeah. Like this I is... mean, Skywalker couldn't have changed. Yeah. I would have been mad if yeah. he changed Skywalker. Uh, the only thing that's changing a little, which is going to become more important later, is rather than being in that like cloak that he the Jedi like wearing that brown cloak. He's wearing like a, a samurai. Uh, he's a kimono. Holy shit. Yeah. That's kind of cool. Especially because so, Star Wars is based a lot on. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. Ooh, interesting. So yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so that that's the end of episode one. We begin episode two with Luke and Obi-Wan sitting down and Obi-Wan being like, look, I need your help. And him being like, why do you need my help? Him not really explaining things while still just kind of be like, I, you would be really helpful if you help me. And eventually Luke be like, no. I'm, I'm not. But his uncle comes along and kind of persuades him to at least show him around. Like, at least give him a tour of the place. Like, be, be his host. guide. Yeah, be his guide. And he reluctantly agrees. Obi-Wan then has him guide him back to the market where we saw last episode, specifically to a droid market. And he's going around seemingly looking to buy a droid for some reason. Luke stays with him for a few minutes as he's looking around holding some sort of weird remote in his hand. Luke then gets kind of disinterested, turns around, and sees... I don't really know, like kind of like futuristic blackjack, some sort of future cards that doesn't get fully explained. Yeah, but clearly games. not. Yeah, g- game gamblings. He walks over to them and honestly just starts playing. We stay with that for a little bit and he clearly he starts winning a lot. Like, not super much, but is winning. And Obi-Wan then comes over, taps him on the shoulder, and whispers in his ear that one of the guys he's playing with... is cheating? No, one of the guys he's playing with actually owns the droid that he's looking for. Luke is a little put off, like, what? what? I thought you were here to buy a droid, not looking for a specific one. And he's like, all right, whatever. Um, And then decides to, with all of his winnings, because what does he need it? Puts it against the guy's droid. Uh, after a little bit of haggling, the guy eventually agrees, and they play. There's a really tense match that goes on for, a, honestly, a bit too long. And uh, eventually... He wins the droid. Woohoo. Uh, the guy then immediately accuses Luke of cheating, reaches for his blaster, pulls it out to shoot him. Obi-Wan waves his hand and says, and says there's no need for violence. The guy slowly puts his gun away and he's like, yeah, you're right. Go on, Not take your winnings. It. Yeah. They walk away. Luke, stunned, has no idea what the fuck just happened. As they just kind of hurriedly walk away. Like, Obi-Wan's not hurried, but, like, Luke's like, uh, I don't want to be here when he changes his mind. They head back, and on the way back, uh, Luke's like, what the hell was that? And he's like, I'll tell you in due time. They go back to the house, turn on what is clearly RTD2, because, yeah, it is RTD2. Mascot status, bitch. Yep, RTD2 scans the area, scans Obi-Wan, and then the message with Leia plays. Awesome. So... Leia's design is almost 100% different. She does not look at all like she does in the movie. Mm-hmm. She's more retro-futuristic cyberpunk. She's got, like, a weird tech suit with lines and blue glowing things on it. Like, her hair is also a little more messy. She doesn't look prim and proper. Mm-hmm. So more a scanner darkly 80s novel sci-fi rather than 70s George Lucas? Yeah, just a little crazier. After the message plays, which is almost identical to the message in the movie, Obi-Wan sits there for a minute, ponders, looks hesitantly over at Luke, and then says, Luke, I really need your help. We cut, and now 
we are in a very dimly lit room and there's a man in shadow that's talking to another man that's kneeling before him. He tells, who we will know as Boba Fett, the man kneeling, that he has a special mission for him to track down a certain droid that has escaped the Empire. I was excited until you said Boba Fett. <laughs> but it's Boba Fett, right? Not Jango Fett. I always get the two characters. No, you're right. I okay. Just, I don't want it to be Boba Fett. I'm sorry. I mean, it fits for a long form thing. You need smaller villains. Yep. Anyway, maybe he'll fucking do something here. So I, I'm all in. <laughs> um, so he like he accepts the mission and walks away. When he turns around, we get a good view of him. I'm going to describe it now so I don't have to describe it later. Imagine Boba Fett, except without the helmet. And instead, he has a long form brim cowboy hat that covers because of angles covers his face. So he looks kind of like Cad Bane. I don't know who he's that a, is. another Star Wars bounty hunter actually with like a wide brim hat maybe well, um and and he has the Mandalorian armor but it's underneath a western duster like a, a big that's coat pretty cool yeah a space western thing yeah anyway we cut back as soon as he exits the shot to Luke and Obi-Wan sitting in the same place Obi-Wan reaches into his coat and pulls out a lightsaber hands it to Luke now the lightsaber hilt and as we'll see in a moment the blade is more like a light katana the blade the handle itself the it actually has a little hand guard which honestly is ceremonial but still and the blade itself is more shaped like a katana so but the principles obviously the, the principles it's the same thing it just looks a little different he also he tells him that this was his father's lightsaber and that it's now belongs to him and he's like um okay and he's like and also as part of your father's legacy you have the ability to control the force he goes on to explain what the force is a little luke doesn't believe him and then he just uses telekinesis to lift the cup nearby and he's like that's the force he then instructs luke how to do it and luke does a really weak example of the force like he moves the cup a little not really well but he does it kind of proving that he has it after that display and a little more back and forth, he eventually, again, formally asks for Luke's help, and Luke now agrees. He still is not agreeing, really, to become Obi-Wan's apprentice. He's just more like, I'll help you with what you need to do. He then goes into the other room, explains the situation to his aunt and uncle, most of which we don't actually see. He says goodbye to them. He says, I don't know when I'll be back, but... I'll be back as soon as I'm done helping this guy. And they, they wish him safe travels. And they even say, may the force be with you. And he goes back to Obi-Wan. And Obi-Wan's like, great. Now we need a pilot. Looks like, may the, may the what be with me? Yeah, like he was a little caught off guard, but he didn't question it. We head back into town again. And now we head into a cantina where in as we enter, we see in the background. Vagrant Don and the modal nodes? Well, they weren't I was going to mention, but yeah, they're there. Yes, bitch. They're playing their one-hit wonder. Yes. You don't need nothing else. <laughs> anyway, we do see Han and Greedo talking in the background. We see Obi-Wan then enter, go up to the bartender, and wave his hand and then say, where can I find a very talented pilot? Dazed, the bartender weakly points over to Han. Now we zoom the camera over to Han and Greedo where they're seemingly finishing their conversation. The conversation goes about as you expect. Greedo says, McClunky, before yeah. Han, Han pulls out his blaster, fires first. Yeah. Both things settled. The, the real thing. Yeah. McClunky and Han fires first. Perfect. You've just solved fucking... I've solved of, Star Wars. You've solved all wars. All wars. Obi-Wan goes over to Han and asks him if... He's a pilot and has a ship, and Han's like, yes. He then goes on to ask if he's willing to work for him on a special mission. He's like, I only work for money. I And Obi-Wan's like, I don't have any money. He's like, well, then we don't got business. And as he's walking away, Obi-Wan's like, but the Rebellion will pay you well. And this is the first mention of the Rebellion. There, There's not been any even an inkling that there is a Rebellion. Han stops, turns around, looks a little sheepish, and then is like, you know what? What the hell? Let's do it. 
Han then leads the two towards his ship at the star dock and he's like walks over to the Millennium Falcon as you'd expect it to be and showing it off when a couple of Huttese thugs walk up we, they don't necessarily know they're Huttese we know from our universe know what they're Huttese they'll be explained way later that there's Huttese thugs but that's what they are anyway Huttese thugs go up to the Han and like hey you owe us money he's like fuck you I'm not not paying not paying your stupid ugly boss they get into a firefight as they're like escaping to the ship and now obi-wan pulls out his lightsaber and starts actually deflecting blasts like you'd expect as they slowly retreat onto the ship and blast away as soon as we see them getting out of orbit into space they go into hyperspace and as soon as they exit hyperspace we see another ship leave hyperspace enter the atmosphere go down to the starport and exits boba fett who now is one step behind yep who is now looking around at the chaos of a firefight there's imperial stormtroopers that are questioning everybody way too aggressively and hutti's thugs who are either dead or ran away and he walks over to an imperial stormtrooper the guy starts to talk down to him and then he pulls out a piece of paper which has the imperial seal on it and begins to ask what happened here actually there's no paper in star wars fine it's a holocron yeah it's 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 like one of those pads i don't it doesn't really matter it's just a seal and he asks what happened here we cut back to our crew in space as Han and Obi-Wan are arguing over their destination. Obi-Wan's saying we need to get right to saving Leia, and Han's like, no, no, we need one more person. If you want us to infiltrate a prison facility, we need my friend. I was getting dangerously worried at the lack of the best fucking character. <laughs> yeah, and don't worry. They keep arguing for a while until Luke eventually gets sick of it and interjects and says to Obi-Wan that if Han's friend can help them do this mission more successfully, then they should just go rescue him. And Obi-Wan then gives up and says, all right, that's fine. While they're traveling on their journey, Obi-Wan then teaches Luke a little bit about more about the Force, what it is, and a little bit about lightsabers and how to use it. Like, light training. Like what nothing... episode would we be on, roughly? Uh, I'm just curious if this is, like, episode, like, three or episode, like, eight. No, we're we're past ten. Oh, oh wow. Yeah. All right. I don't know exactly where, though. Yeah, yeah, okay. But, I mean, you, you said it's a long fucking anime, so yeah. it, it makes sense. It, I just wasn't sure. Exactly. That's, yeah, that's why I asked. So during this training session, it's not a montage because it's only been going on for so long. We then hear from outside a boom of the hyperspace. Then sirens go off as we've got an attack. And we zoom out and now we see the same ship from earlier that the bounty hunter Boba Fett has. Which I don't know if he owns Slave 1 or if his, son, or if his father owns Slave 1. But Slave 1 is probably what he's flying. And It looks the same? It, it would look the same. Yeah, it would be, again, more angular. Like, Slave 1 has a lot of really smooth edges. Yeah, so I mean, Slave, a lot one, more Slave 1 looks like a fucking iron and like yeah. something you'd use to iron clothes. Yeah, but it's much more jutted. Like, rather than that, like, weird smooth front, it's more of a square. Okay. But so, yeah, so and they have a big firefight until Han Sweet. takes... Han takes the Millennium Falcon into a nearby asteroid field and they play cat and mouse for a while until eventually Han manages to evade the bounty hunter, go into hyperspace, and get away. They now arrive in orbit around a planet and take the ship down to this planet where Han's friend supposedly is. They land and they're on a... Well, they're on Kashyyyk. They're just, they're just on Kashyyyk, just for visual reference. Sweet. And we see... Bunch of Wookiees being uh, in chain in like a chain gang being uh, escorted around by a bunch of Imperial stormtroopers. So Wookiees look the same. Yeah, Wookiees look the same. Nice. 
Now, for the sake of time, I'm not going to go into this whole big event, but I will just say after a lot of effort, they managed to, to steal their way in, like steal a card or whatever. They break in, and they stage a big prison break, and they find Chewbacca, and they start breaking him out when Slave One arrives, and in the chaos- Good grief. In the chaos, the bounty hunter tracks them down and starts firing at them. Even Obi-Wan during this part admits that while he could probably beat uh, this bounty hunter in one-on-one combat, there's too many... There's, he would incur too much shit going yeah, on. Yeah, too much stuff going on. There'd be too many casualties. Like, he can't ensure the blaster fire would be reflected right back at him. And this guy is also, as reluctantly as he wants to admit, very skilled. So they end up in the firefight with more or less just Han firing at him until they can manage to... Yeah, like that. I, I was doing the Harrison Ford bang pose. For anyone out there, bang. Han actually takes a reasonably bad shot to the gut, and they have to sort of carry him away, and they manage to eventually escape, get on the ship with Chewbacca. They take off. Chewbacca's at the helm. Word. So he goes back to, kind of is carried to the med bay, and he pulls out a jar of, like, this tealish goo and pours it on his uh, his wound he then comes actually called bacta i know it's called bacta i'm just explaining it for people that don't know what bacta is uh, but kashik everyone knows what that is do people not know where wookies come from i doubt it if you're that surface level about star wars i doubt you would know i don't think my dad would know where wookies come from okay. and he loves star wars well I guess we're a little too late for me. I can describe what Kashyyyk nope, is. Nope, too late. Okay. Anyway, he pours, as Eric says, it is Bacta right on him. And Hey, that wasn't me. That was them. Well, whatever. I'm speaking for them. Whatever. He then complains that he had to use the really good stuff, like the expensive uh, medical gel, but he says that he'll probably be better by tomorrow, so they should stop gawking and worrying about him and go off and do whatever their stupid light show practice that they got to do. They leave Luke more timidly and more concerned about uh, Han than Obi-Wan is. They leave and they go back to training a little, but mostly they're just sort of discussing things more at this point. And even Obi-Wan mentions the only other Jedi currently alive that he's aware of named Yoda, who's living on a swamp planet somewhere but it's only really mentioned it's not really super important to what they're talking about a day goes by and luke wakes up to see all of the passengers on the ship staring out the front window as we look at a big ship like imagine for those that don't know darth vader has a personal star destroyer that is massive actually it's a super star destroyer oh my god anyway it's a super star destroyer prison ship and we're staring at that so is not on the death star no and uh, Obi-Wan's like, that. that's where we need to go. And Luke's like, oh my god, how are we going to get on that? We now cut to the same dark place we saw way earlier with Boba Fett now kneeling before the shadow as he apologizes for his failure. And the guy in shadow says that he's honestly surprised that he failed him so badly. But it doesn't matter anymore because now the Empire will step in and pick up the slack where he has failed. Maybe we should have done that from the beginning. So, and this this is a funny caveat I wanted to add in. Though he doesn't explain it in the anime, but for manga fans, he's way more of a tactician and a strategist and really shows fuck? his character. Because the reason that he didn't do it is because he didn't want to draw attention to the droid. He didn't want to show the importance of what the droid is and what the droid has. And if they had rounded it up with a shitload of stormtroopers, it would have... Well, yeah. Why am I... Why yeah, am but, the, the an, but the anime showrunners thought that wasn't important. And all the manga fans are outraged by that. I like this... Di- 
discourse. Yeah. That's funny. Anyway, so he says that, and then he steps into the light, and we see Darth Vader, again, more angular. Like, his mask has- He looks has, more like a samurai. Uh, and honestly- yeah, kind of. Because like, uh, I've, I've just seen alt art of Vader as a samurai, yeah, just, so I'm kind of Yeah, just a that. little bit less, uh, little, again, a little less curves, a little more angular. Less sleek. Yeah, and he says, I guess it's time for me to step into the light. <laughs> and we cut, end arc one, Bounty Hunter. Bit of a misnomer for how <laughs> little Fat did, but that's yeah. kind of the whole series. So, obviously, we, as podcast listeners, stop here, but the viewers in this universe watching this would just wait one more week and they get another episode so there's no break between arcs no this is is continuous jesus h christ yeah this is going on until it stops at like 250 something didn't even get to leia no we don't that's interesting though all right so i just want to talk about a couple of the things so first of all even though i know star wars is kind of an east versus west thing it's way more obvious than this like the jedi are way more uh, samurai even with their swords and whatnot and boba fett specifically uses a very revolver looking uh, blast rifle like it, nope. it looks exactly like you'd expect and, like a long smith and wesson to look and like. han is clearly more gunslinger yep exactly like this is very much a mixing between east and west sensibilities also and this is gonna be a first because for some reason i thought this is important um i got a voice actor what the yeah. fuck? I don't know why. And I'm it's only so for, proud. It's only for one character. Is and it that's, Obi-Wan? It's Darth Vader. Okay. Yeah, I know. He doesn't. He barely does anything in this. Is but for Chris some Sabat? reason, n- No, no. We're talking Japanese voice actors. Oh. So you won't know anything. But that being said, he's either going to be voiced by Wakamoto Norio, which you might, might know this person because Bullshit. a long time ago, you tried watching Mirai Nikki. Uh, Future what? Diary. Future oh, Diary. Oh, did you get to meet God or Deus Ex Machina? Was that like the person talking to all of them when yes. they're in that like yes. liminal space? Yes. Then I think, doesn't that happen in like the second episode or something? I, I don't remember where it follows. It's been uh, a long time since I've seen it. Vague. Yeah, I think. Okay. If you watch the Japanese uh, dub and not the Didn't. English dub. Okay. Well, anyway, he's a possible voice actor. The other one is the voice actor of Ainz Ul Gon. I blinked thrice. Uh, Hino uh, Satoshi. How many words was that? Well, I mean, his name has like three parts. Oh, okay. That sounded like five. But, Ainz uh, Ulgon from Overlord. Both these actors have really booming, commanding voices that like are put in leadership roles at that like just sound authorita- uh, authoritative. So they're both really like commanding. And I think they both would fit really well for Darth Vader. Either of those sound fine. Anyone who's voicing God can probably voice Vader. <laughs> Maybe. The only other thing I didn't mention that I wanted to mention at the beginning is we still have that title crawl. That like Fuck blurb of yeah. information. However, it's something I don't like because what it is is it's something that precedes the opening in every single episode. Is it the same every time? Yes. Oh, what? That's yeah. annoying. It will change like maybe once every 35 episodes or whatever, like when a big shift in the story changes. When we get to Empire Strikes yeah. Back. But I mean, it's largely useless because it's, it conveys the same information. Isn't needed. Stop conveying, doing it, anime. It's conveying the information we got. I'm talking in about one. you, Black Clover. Stop. We know that there was a magician that beat a demon. We don't fucking care anymore. We're like, what, 90 something episodes? No one cares. Yeah. Anyway. Heard him. That's my story. I'm sticking to it. Okay. Any questions? You had so much PS stuff. I liked it. But, um, no, I, th- I think for our first show of 2020, I think we were both very strong today. Yeah. That, that was, I, it was very good because you obviously 
you know, love Star Wars. Yeah. So you were able to kind of go a little bit fucking buck wild with it. Yeah. And again, I think getting off the leash where you were able to bring stuff in from the whole saga to, it was like if Lucas actually knew what he was doing <laughs> from the beginning. <laughs> well, I'm flattered. Dab. I'm flattered. But yeah. But no, I, th- I thought, as you already clarified with the East vs. West things, yeah, no, I you did a really good job of retaining all the characteristics of the main players, except for debatably Luke, but I mean, again, it's an anime, so you have to boringify him a little bit and yep. Luke is kind of the blank slate classic hero trope in the first movie more so than any other anyway mm-hmm. so there's a little it makes sense to do what you did with them especially for an anime but yeah like the story seems intact the characters seem intact and you've played up the stylistic bits instead of downplayed them so it that fits yeah I think it sounds pretty good. I'm glad. We'll get back to this. Yeah. Obviously. Uh, I, I hope we will, because the funny thing is, I actually already have planned what's happening next, but I cut it for the sake of time. I appreciate it. Yeah. So this is already probably- It's a good a, stopping point. Yeah. Uh, this is probably going to be the longest episode. You're without telling having, me. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> all right. All right. So I finished Star Wars. And you dropped a big bomb on me last episode. I had an excuse. No, Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, but screw excuses. Who needs that when you drop such a cultural bomb on me? Okay, what? So I'm going to drop one on you. Uh, Do I get to know now? Yeah. You're going to do Yu-Gi-Oh. Holy shit, I do know what that is. Yeah. I promised you you would, and you do. Holy shit, I I do know what that is. So that's what you're doing next week. Wow. I'll start thinking. All right. (laughs) Yu-Gi-Oh. All right, anything else? Um, as always, uh, we appreciate if you comment, like, subscribe, share, like anything to interact with us is really helpful, and we also like it. Like, We like to hear your opinions. We like to hear your thoughts. And hell, if you want to give us recommendations, we're always down for that. That's um, true. You can follow us at Jared, N, the letter N, Eric1, on Twitter, or personal ones. And one more time, happy 2020. We all made it. Yes, so happy 2020. Good for us. And may the force be with you. May the force be with you and have a happy, happy holidays and day. D- you, what? Wait, what? What did you even say? <laughs> what? How, what? What was that word? You know what? Fuck it. Have a wonderful day. You could have said happy new year, fucker. Eh. Thank you for listening to our little live story. Have a wonderful day.